0: Hi, I'm Chris and with me is Matt and we're slowing down to connect with people around us between the miles. Matt, another episode, here we go. Another journey, another
1: conversation. How are you doing, my friend? Dude, I uh, I mean, <laughs> I feel like, I, you know, if people are listening to these, like binging them, it's gonna sound very similar because I- I'm great, man. Um, and I'm really excited for our conversation today um you know jackie got introduced to us by kate mckay Mm -hmm. um whose name is all of a sudden right like you feel like it's it's getting woven throughout these episodes uh but so much gratitude for these introductions that kate gave us um and you know i spent some time with jackie last week and one Mm -hmm. of the things in our conversation that really resonated with me and, and um and that I just took away and that like really looking forward to the conversation today was the fact of you know Jackie's experienced some some stuff in her life right and, and has had to deal with grief and you know that's something our family um, you know has has gone through in the not too distant past, right like in you know And so just having that conversation with her, I was sitting there and and just like, Ready to like watch, you know, the different layers unfold today um, because there were so many other aspects to it. But that was the thing that kind of connected her and I and like bridged into everything else that we were talking about. So I'm, I'm really excited for our listeners.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and for those of you who are not f- familiar with uh, Jackie, she is the teacher, a therapist, lecturer, and nonstop student. Um, and she shared with us that she loves learning about others, herself and the world, and she loves being outside and, and she lives by this adage. There is no bad weather, only bad clothes. And I have to agree with Matt that, uh, it was fun, like unwrapping, uh, Jackie's story and just getting to know a little bit more about her and how she connects with others. And so, uh, you know, Matt, let's not hold people back any longer. Um, for everyone who's listening, here's Jackie Stilling. hey Jackie welcome to the show um, everybody with us is Jackie and uh, I know uh, Matt you and Jackie had a chance to uh, really get to know each other um, you know a, about a week ago uh, prepping for this podcast and um, and uh, Jackie you come at a high referral of our friend Kate McKay who's also been on the show and, but for people who are not familiar with you um, do you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself what you do and um, and where you are in life.
2: Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, you guys. It's uh, great to be here. Um, Gosh, what I do. I mean, professionally, I'm a mental health therapist, have a private practice, and I also work uh, in inpatient treatment at Ashley up in Haverty Grace, Maryland, uh, where I exclusively work with um, young adults, young adult males in extended care. Um, And... Yeah. So that's what I do for a living, which is weird because I think there's so much more about people and why in the heck do we always tell what we do for a living? Uh, So (laughs) I, um, I was born and raised in Baltimore in the city. Uh, I'm 57. I think that's uh, important, uh, for people to know. I, I, I like being 57. I think that's important. um, I uh, was really intrigued about the podcast because I'm all about connections, right? Like I, and I'm also really open about connections in the sense of, mm, well, let me start with a story. When my mom died, my mom lived with us uh, for many, many years until she died. And uh, when it became time to clean out her stuff, um, I had a friend come over And when we started cleaning out our stuff, I started crying. So my friend said, Oh, just sit down. Let's make a cup of tea. And we had a cup of tea. The next day, another friend came over, same thing happened. I started crying. She said, sit down, I'm going to get this stuff done. And the reason I'm saying that about connections is because I think we sell ourselves short when we don't open ourselves up to many different kinds of connections, right? Like I need both those friends in my life. I need the friend who's gonna get me a cup of tea and I need the friend who is gonna say, we gotta get this done. It's been months now since your mom's been gone. You need the space. Yeah. Um, So I think I veered off about telling about myself, but I think (laughs) that explains really a lot about me. Um, Yeah, yeah, so.
1: uh, Yeah, yeah, so. Really glad to be here. So. um, there was, right, we obviously, we sent you, um, you know, some questions prior to, and and what really resonated with me in there was um, this idea of, like, finding teammates, right, like, teams, right, like, it, and what I, not in the, you know, the, the athletic sense, it was the fact that, um, and, and I'd love for you to elaborate on this, was was finding those types of friends, right? That you have people that can fill different roles in your life. And I hope I didn't read too far into that. But as you were talking, that's what I was envisioning, right? So how have you, I guess, opened up the awareness to identify those different teammates or friends and how they play different roles in your life?
2: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we only listen to that one role model, that one example, right? Sometimes it's our father's voice or our mother's voice or our grandfather or or some voice inside of us that we're born with, and I think that it almost always steers us down the wrong path, right? We need like, um, and I don't know what's correct to say anymore. I mean, some kids could say a posse. We need a posse, you know. Uh, we need we need a team. We need uh, mentors. Um, and I agree. I don't. And I don't think. <laughs> I don't think just because we ask for advice and are given it that we have to take it, mm-hmm. right? There's this whole sense of discernment, and I love the the power of the pause, having a pause button in our life, um, that we don't have to get seduced by what other people say and do, nor do we have to get seduced by our thoughts and our feelings, right? And so. Um, I mean I have lots of I was gonna say I have a really big circle, but I really like to reframe it and say I have a lot of little circles in my life right and and depending on what's rattling around in my head that's that will um, depend on which of those circles I, I dial into you know
0: so with those circles, um... Are they based off of any sort of certain theme, intentionally uh, formed, something that just kind of happened over time? Um, How do those circles look?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, both, both end. Uh, I think that some of them have just been over time. uh, Most of them I'd say in the past 20 years have been intentionally formed. Um, So, yeah. And, you know, and some of them are transactional, right? So I'm working on a website right now uh, to launch, hopefully launch a new type of gig I want to start doing. And so I reached out to Kate McKay yesterday because I really value, I mean, although I love being with her and being connected to her, I also value her eye with stuff like that. Um, And so, and although you know, she's a person in my life who probably would call me a mentor since I'm, I could be her mom. I also consider her to be a mentor. Um, I, I, I just think I have so many people. My, I mean, again, I'll repeat again. I'm 57. I have so many people in my life that are in their twenties and early thirties. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I just keep learning from them so um so yeah so there's some of those circles from different periods of my life uh where maybe where i used to work or where i used to hang and then there's um my inner circle uh, is really what i like to call seekers and when people hear like that i think they sometimes think of maybe a particular kind of church or something, but none of these people that I know of actually go to church, but we're all seeking to get to know ourselves better, um, to, to not react to stimulus until we pause. Right. And, uh, and I mean that incredibly intentionally, if you were hanging out in our little circle, these are things you would hear often. Yeah.
0: Like, Yeah. So, so you, you've mentioned pause a couple of times, which I I agree, right? Like we do a lot to fill the void, um, in the, and and just be busy and move and and everything like that. Um, why, why do you think we, the greater, we right struggle with these pauses or these moments Mm -hmm. of silence and everything in that regards, Uh, what do you think is the big obstacle there?
2: Mm -hmm. So, um, I think we're, we have a lot of conditioning, you know, I, um, I, I tend to think again, this circle of, of mine, this inner circle, I think we're all in recovery from conditioning, right? We're all trying to uncover this unhealthy conditioning, this unhealthy programming. And, um, you know, it's like if you meet somebody in a store and they say, Hey, how you doing? What have you been up to? Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, really? No, I'm busy. Well, no, I'm busy. I mean, I have 10 kids. Well, I have, uh, I'm managing a swim team. I'm doing whatever, right? We're all so busy. And we, we, it's almost like a moral thing, right? If you're not busy, you're almost not good enough, right? Um, So I think it's a lot of conditioning. Um, When I talk about though, the power of the pause, uh, I don't only talk about just being Yes, there is a lot of importance to being quiet, to not having radio on and computer on and uh cell phone connected to our face all the time. That's really important. But it's also this thing about if we have a feeling meter inside of us and it goes from zero to 10, anytime our feeling meter goes to a five or a six or a seven, that's when we need to cultivate that pause button. Right, because what's really going on? My guess is whenever it goes above a five, it has very little to do with what's going on in this moment, unless it's a crisis, okay? But again, most of the, how many times you can count how many times in a day it goes above a five or a six or a seven when it's not a crisis. That's when we need to hit the pause button. Take a deep breath, then act accordingly. After a, a deep breath, after a moment of discernment. Um, I love working with couples in my field as a therapist, and even as not a therapist, <laughs> um, because I really believe if people are committed to staying in a relationship, there is nothing that should be able to break you up. And I have seen a lot, a big, lots of big things. Uh, but I think um, what often happens is that couples don't have the ability to have a pause button right and so especially when you're living with somebody and they become your financial partner and your parenting partner and your chore partner right and you don't have that that pause button you get into all kinds of trouble right if you can actually have a pause button and let's say you guys are both uh males and i i know matt you you're married to a woman so let's let's go there let's say matt's wife um is just turned up, right? She's at a six or a seven for like three days in a row. He has a lot of different ways he can enter into that, right? Hmm. He could just be like, what the is the matter with you, right? What's going on? Why are you being such a, right? Or he can hit a pause button and say, my wife is usually a lovely human being who's generous and kind. I wonder what's going on with her. And then he can enter into it with, a sense of curiosity mm. and say, you know, you're usually not, I mean, I'm just going to say, you're not, you're not usually mean. And then she might say, well, I'm not mean. And then Matt could say, right, you're not. That's why I'm wondering what's going on with you. Mm. And how can I be helpful?
1: Whew. I mean, as you were saying that, I am envisioning myself, first of all, in, in the ultimate pause, which is the current pandemic that we're all experiencing, right? And and not in the terms that you're using, but I think back to how many times I've had to do that in retrospect, right? And now that you're talking about it, right? Like in the moment, I feel like I stunk, right? Like I I didn't I didn't you know I wasn't there, uh. And and I I don't pick up things as quickly. However. 30 minutes an hour next morning, like even just that little check-in to reconnect has made a lot of difference and has probably subsided a lot of things from getting a lot bigger than they, you know, should have, you know, should.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that is just, uh, I mean, that's just fascinating to me. And, and so, you know, when, people are at the five or the six or the seven, right? Cause I'm assuming that's a scale starting at one going up to a 10, right? Um, are there any like best practices or anything that could help them start to improve in those moments?
2: Um, I mean, the first step is always recognizing right? Recognizing that I'm starting to, to get turned up. Um, and then, I, again, I think it, it depends on where you are and who you're with. But I think recognizing is the first stage. Uh, when often when I'm working with folks, and they're learning this way of being, they'll say to me like, oh, you know, I recognized it and I still did blah, 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 blah. And I'm always like, yay, you recognized it. Three months ago, you couldn't even see it. You were justifying your behavior. You weren't able to create space and look at your part in it, right? So that's the first step when people can start saying, huh, maybe I had a different choice of how to react. Um, And then, uh, so then once you learn that, then I think it's just acknowledging it too, Like, wow, like, right. It's never, ever, ever, ever about beating yourself up. It's never about look at what a terrible human being I am. I'm above a six right now because all that does is get you more angry and get you more turned up. So it's really about being kind to yourself, taking a stance of curiosity. Um, And really the, the sympathetic nervous system is pretty wonderful too, right? And the parasympathetic nervous system. If you take a deep breath, hold it at the top, have your exhale be a little longer than your inhale, your system will reset a little bit, you know? Um, so that is one thing you can always do. And the other thing is to remember, right? Uh, our amygdala has this, the fight or flight response and we are hardly ever in the fight or flight response, right? We, there are no lions chasing us anymore. Or we're not living on the plains, right? We're in houses, we have heat and food, most of us, if we're lucky. Um, if, if I'm having a heart attack, don't hit the pause button, do CPR, call 911. But again, <laughs> how often is that happening? Almost everything can be paused for 24 hours. But think about it, you guys, think about relationships you're in, kids, spouses, bosses, employees, right? Whatever they are. And think about a time when you do get really turned up. Think about the mechanism in us that sometimes feels like if I don't respond to this right now and I don't get clarity or closure, my head is going to pop off. Okay. Maybe you all can't relate to that, but hopefully (laughs) some of your listeners can, right? We all have those moments and we can recondition our minds and, and, exercise, change our brains to be able to hit a pause button.
0: Yeah. I have to agree with you, right. It's, it's a change of perspective, right? It's a change of approach. And I love how earlier you were talking about like, yeah, the the conditioning we're so conditioned to function one way society and actually kind of going back to, you know, first question we asked you, or first thing we asked you to do, which was introduce yourself. And you're like, I don't know why I start with our profession. One thing I heard recently that, um, Really struck me is I, I think it's in Japan when you ask that question, like, you know, how are you doing? Like it the the response culturally is a much deeper like response, mm. right? It's not these like um, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm busy, these like platitudes that we throw out there. Like what what do you think are some of the things that we need to do, you know, and, and going with these deeper connections to not just dismiss conversation potential conversations from happening and saying like, you know, I'm fine, I'm you know, busy. And, and even in moments where we can sort of pause and, you know, really have these conversations and really kind of step back. What are some things that we need to do to become more vulnerable um, so that we can be so that we can have these deeper relationships like quicker?
2: I think we have to be more honest, right? I think we have to realize that everything is both and not either or, and so if I run into somebody that an acquaintance or or whatever, uh, my new my new saying since the when people say how are you doing, I say good enough, mm-hmm. right? And so even that, it just again, I mean, it's not like the most cleverest thing in the world, but even that, people will be like, huh. Good enough. Well, that's interesting, right? And that right away starts the gears turning. I'm not like fine, okay, shitty, right? I'm like I'm good enough. Got up this morning, was uh, well enough to put clothes on and 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 do some work, right? Um, and so even that, right? Just finding the smallest things. And so again, you know, we live in this world of not being enough. You know, looking at social media where. You- you know, I'll look at something on Instagram and I'll feel not, not enough, not good enough, right? Oh gosh, all these people got together and they're, you know, going skydiving and darn it, they didn't invite me. And then if I can hit the pause button, I can realize I hate skydiving. I don't even like these people very much. Why am I doing this to myself? What is this conditioning? Right. And so when I see people in person or sometimes I'll do it online, but it's, it's kind of like, okay, if you're a parent, Right. We're supposed especially a mother, no offense, you guys, but you're supposed to just find joy in your children 24-7 all the time. Right. I think it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Right. That's ridiculous. Having children is ridiculously hard. So can't we just admit that we can both really love our children, that we would stand in front of a train for them and they annoy the shit out of us on a daily basis. Right, why can't we be real like that with each other? Because the minute you say that to somebody in a grocery line, (laughs) right? Like it opens up a whole new landscape instead of like, oh yeah, my little angel here is just so beautiful or whatever. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, it gives people permission to be human, right? So it's kind of, you know, I I like your response good enough. But the question that I have following that is then what is good enough in your mind? Like, so Mm. if I I said, Hey, Jackie, how's it going? And your response is good enough. My initial response is like, Oh, I wonder what good enough is then. So how would you respond to that question?
2: So I think it's part of my like Buddhist training uh, or conditioning, I guess really is that um, if I don't try to fight what is, then I'm good enough. Right, it's about just being here now and not needing for every moment to be orgasmic, right? And also understanding that when life is really difficult, when I'm grieving, um, understanding that it won't always be this way. So I can be, I can be good enough in grief. I can be good enough on vacation, right? There's a kind of, what course, if you're grieving on vacation, but. Um, right Uh, Winnicott was a psychologist many many years ago and he wrote a book called the good enough mother and the reason he wrote this book is because he got so well i'm paraphrasing (laughs) but he got so tired of mothers feeling like they had to be perfect and so he did a ton of research on kids and realized as long as you're a good enough mother your kids are going to turn out just fine so good enough means you know I probably haven't committed homicide or suicide today.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny because we live in a world where we strive for perfection, even though we know that it's impossible to achieve, right? And, and so we get stuck with whether it's guilt or um, just frustration or overwhelmment, just knowing that we can't reach that threshold, right? Because perfect is just, we're, we're not going to get there.
2: Non-existent. And, it,
0: you're right it's it, it doesn't exist uh for us and and so um so like giving ourselves permission to be vulnerable and 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 honest not only takes the burden off of our shoulders right but it's it's a gift we can give one another in regards to being permission mm-hmm. to be to be raw in that regards um like do you think that that's something so i'm not sure like how you help your clients do that or whatnot i mean it, i'm sure it's part of the the pause thing but do you think that's something that people can come to their own or that they have to have some pivotal moment where they realize that they're just not in control anymore?
2: Both and. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, uh, I, you know, I I think it depends, right? On what our wiring is and what our conditioning is. I think that, um, I mean, for me, uh, it it took a lot of therapy. Um, I had a pretty, uh, chaotic childhood, a pretty vicious adolescent and, um, you know, kind of a dangerous twenties, um, until I finally was able to hit the pause button and say, I really don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to uh, continue the patterns of my family i want to i want to break the chains of this legacy uh, and then i started on a different path right uh, but a lot of people don't ever get there so I, I mean i have to admit i think part of that is temperament and bur- like i think i just kind of came out of the womb like that and that might i don't know how that sounds to people but i don't think i did anything particular i think you know, I just kind of had this tenacity. And so I kind of said, fuck it, man. I don't want to be like this anymore. I want, I want to change. And then I did some things to change. Uh, but things didn't just go in a straight line, right? They went up and down and up and down like a heartbeat. Um, and things went pretty well for a while. And then I had one, uh, one person die and then another person die and another person die, and another person die. And this was in my like 40s. Um, And that really helped me understand life and death and lack of control and all that stuff that we're talking about in a very real way. However, I think I was on the path before that happened, right? I was already practicing Buddhism and um, being real and vulnerable and raw uh, had already lived in the, through some, some traumatic experiences myself. So, um, I don't think everybody has to experience trauma to become real, right? Like, uh, <laughs> we're all real, but we just have these, mm, all these layers and layers of veneer on us that keeps us from that authentic connection that we're really all craving. I mean, once you get it, right, that's why you guys are doing this, right? You got it. You had that connection and you wanted to, I, I guess, cultivate it, you know? And um, so, yeah, so I don't know if everybody has to go to therapy to do this. You know, I also host, um, I've hosted some retreat days uh, where people learn how to to be with each other in silence. And just see what arises, and be able to discuss that in a in a real place. So I do a like it's funny because I do a lot of things other than be a therapist, you know. Um, but professionally, I think good therapy is good for everybody. I mean, really, it's amazing what a good therapeutic relationship can do for you. And let me tell you, this is the hardest thing about being a therapist. I don't do it. I create the space. I take a neutral stance. And I have to understand that whatever you are telling me is not happening to me. It happened to you. And so that is like such a gift, right? That a good therapist can give somebody, but there's a ton of bad therapists. I, <laughs> like, I, they're just,
0: I appreciate you saying that because you know, I, um, I, I go to a the therapist and, and she's fantastic. And one of the things that I love that she allows me to do, and this, and this goes back to kind of what you're saying with being real is Um, the questions she asks, or the prompts that she gives, uh, at least the way that I perceive it is intended to help me process the whole situation and from every angle. And I've never felt that she was guiding me or leading me down a direction that wasn't something that was coming from within myself, right? It's not like, you know, where a doctor will say, here are my recommendations, you know, like lose weight, go for a run, you know, things like that. I mean, she'll prescribe me exercises, but it's, it's more of helping me sort of process that. And I think like, you know, and that's something that, you know, as a, as a, as a coach and, and as a youth minister, you know, like for me, like when you, when you try to force things down people's throats there, you're going to meet some resistance, right? Because if they haven't acknowledged it or accepted it themselves, then it's really hard. So really it's more of helping them, um, uh, draw from within what what's going on inside their head and their heart and really helping them to process it aloud or maybe on paper or things like that so that they can see it from a different angle. So I know. I pre- and yeah, there are some great therapists out there. I've got one um, and some really crappy ones as well. But, uh, you know, it, it's it, I think therapy is just so helpful, especially for people who are really stuck. Right. I mean, it, right. That, it, is, is that where most people come to you is that they're just stuck in a situation or a problem that they haven't been able to crack?
2: Yeah, I mean, most people is hard. I think it's um I think it's just many and varied. I think some people come because uh, they want to have a you know, I, I think of people who come, oh, they just moved to the Baltimore area and they haven't connected with a therapist here and they're re- they want to do that. They're used to having a therapist in their life, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, some people are just stuck. Um, you know, they, they label themselves as depressed or anxious, and they're just tired of feeling that way. I don't particularly like labels because I think, you know, I've had people come down and, you know, come in and sit on my couch and say, I'm bipolar. And I'm like, really, you're, you're, no, you're way more than bipolar, right? You're a human being. And someone has thrown a diagnosis of bipolar on you, right? But you're not bipolar. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, people come for all different reasons. Usually the reason they come is not the reason they're there. Mm -hmm. We usually uncover lots of other reasons they're there, if we're lucky. Like a
0: surface reason they come and then you unwrap it and and there's something deeper there. Um, Right. uh, Can can we just go back to the labels thing? Because I know you kind of shared that a little bit before. Um, Like, I love what you said that, yeah, someone's prescribed them or given them a label. But there's something more than that. Can you elaborate a little bit more on like mm-hmm. what what that more is?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think it's helpful, right? So like, if I'm with a bunch of therapists and they'll say, "Oh, this person's uh, really bipolar," not bipolar, uh, borderline, right? That's like the cardinal. Mm, I mean, I don't know. Dep- yeah, I, I, sorry. Uh, it's it's it can be a really devastating to have or be diagnosed with, right? People say it's pervasive, unchanging, which is, again, I call bullshit. Uh, I don't think it is. I um, I don't think it's helpful to label people because what that does, if you say something's red and you and I are looking at something and... I see it as blue and you see it as red, well then it's probably not red, right? But if it's red, we kind of know shades of what red looks like. But I think with these, when you're talking about people and not colors, somebody with a personality disorder or like, I like, like personality vulnerabilities or with a mood disorder, right? Like depression or anxiety, um, they often don't look the same. And so if I'm not taking a stance of I'm not sure or I don't know as a clinician, if I'm rushing in because, oh, I know I know what that is. That's you have anxiety or you have depression or I think you might be borderline. It's just not helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then that person takes that that clothing or that covering and goes with it too. And then we, then we have more work to do because what I wanna do is get people to understand the layers and layers that they are not to just put one cloak on, right? Um, I, and I know a lot of professionals that would disagree with me, but I also know a lot in my circle that completely agree. And I have some friends that if I get, cause I get caught up in it too. If I say, well, I, just, I think they might be whatever right? They'll be like, so how's that helpful? (laughs) You know? And I'll be like, oh, you're right. It's not. Let's talk about the constellation of symptoms, right? Let's talk about what has them stuck instead of just putting a label on it. Because it's too confining. And what I'm trying to do is create space to get people out of confinement. Well, I almost,
1: like, as I'm listening, right, and I'm, like, flying the wall for a bit, um, when I think about, labels and i i like i think about how they come up in my everyday or or in most people's everyday it's like you know he is the breadwinner she stays home right this and that and like all of a sudden it's like other people are also like creating the ideals of what we perceive we need to be right, right. so like even outside of the relationships that you have with your patients it's like the relationships that you know, if, if Chris and I don't find ways to connect to really get to know each other and, um, and at the end of the day, right? Like have a better understanding of one another, we're probably going to attach labels in one way, shape or form, right? And they could be positive, they could be negative, but, you know, as I'm hearing you talk about it, it just makes me think like, gosh, how many people are just sitting there and thinking like, I'm the mom that can't get it all done, right? I, I'm the dad that's failing as a breadwinner and vice versa, right? Like I, I'm not attaching labels, but I mean, those are obviously stigmas that are out there. And, and I just can't help but think how much less stuck and more ability to acknowledge, recognize, and pause in moments to realize like, we can all create our own path. We don't have to live up to these labels and these ideals, right? Um, Fear of missing out was a big thing for me. And when I started to give myself permission to say no to those things, each time like that feeling started to like extract a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more over time, and I just wonder how many people out there that whether they're listening to this or not, uh, you know, have some of that self-realization or have the ability to step back and and realize like, man, this is just a label, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, not just in my professional world, but in my personal world too, when I just, um, I mean... So uh, uh, last week, somebody that I really love, had, I, I asked if I could come over and see their, their child because I've been trying to make an appearance because they're in a formative years. And I've you know even with COVID been trying to take some precautions, but try to get over there every month and a half or so. And uh, they, they were not wrong or right. They just had a different idea. They're like, well, these other people are coming over. Do you mind? And I said, well, no, because I want to form this relationship with your kid. So I want to be the one there and um and it's funny because it, i mean it was it's all fine but at some point she said something i i'm gonna I, i'm gonna get the general idea something like oh it's all about you but i was like yeah it kind of is all about me right <laughs> like when i'm telling you what i would prefer you can say no and that's okay and then we can maybe schedule next week but i think what happens is we, we do this thing, we think setting boundaries is mean, right? We have these rules of society, right? Uh, this, uh, el- you shouldn't speak to your elders like that. Yeah, and I think, again, when I, when I uh, say to somebody, well, oh, well, I don't wanna go over my aunts for Christmas this year, right? And I'll say, well, just don't go. Well, that would be mean. Why would it be mean? why is self-care looked about like so mean? Like self-care is not selfish. And, And here's the thing. If our relationships are so small that we are defined by one not showing up or one wanting to stay in bed or one argument or one cuss word, right? Then the relationship isn't good anyway, right? I mean, for me, it's like, I can both love somebody deeply and disagree vehemently, right? I mean, and disappoint, right? Everyone I love has disappointed me. I have disappointed everyone who loves me. There's no doubt. That is, I I just, unless they're so mm, defended that they can't admit that, which I think is what causes people suffering right? When we have to pretend that our lover, that our child, that our parent is perfect, right? We can, oh, no, no, they're not, they're not disappointed. They've never disappointed me, right? That's, it's just something we're having to wear to protect ourselves.
0: So, I, and, and earlier on, you mentioned like how you, you love working with couples, right? And, and you made a, a statement, which I love that, like, if they really work at it, they can stay together, right? They can work through that. And, and you talked about resolution and, and everything. What are the keys to finding, in addition to vulnerability and honesty, right? What are some of the other keys or factors that go into finding that resolution so that there can be healing between the relationship or at least resolution between the relationship?
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, because most couples get in the same fight and they never re- get to a resolution. So what happens, I think there's a cycle in all relationships. It's the romance period, then disillusionment, than joy, right? And I don't think it just happens once. I think it keeps happening, right? And so what I what I think happens with most couples is they get in a fight about, I don't know, the dishes, right? It's never about the dishes. You get in a fight. I can't believe you didn't empty the dishwasher. You said you were going to empty the dishwasher. Now I'm trying to cook and blah, blah, blah. And you get angry. and And like all feelings, they arise, they plateau, but we can't hold them for very long. So they go away. So the feeling goes away, but you never resolve the problem, right? And so I think one of the best ways to resolve any problem in any relationship, but we're talking about couples, is to turn towards each other instead of turning away, right? And um, you know, there's a there's a thing called intentional dialogue. Which is really good. I don't think everybody has to use it, but I do think for some couples who are so conditioned, you know, by old ways or or maybe do have some uh, trauma in their in their life, it can help to slow things down, right? It helps to remind us that between the stimulus and our response to it is always that space, right? And so an intentional dialogue goes something like this: um, Chris, when you didn't empty the dishwasher the other day, it made me feel like you just don't hear me. You don't see me. I feel invisible in our marriage. Then you would say, okay, Jackie, what I hear you saying is, and you would repeat back exactly what I'm saying. I have done this with two people many times where the other person repeats back something completely different. They don't even hear each other. Right? So again, this isn't something that everyone needs. Some people can just Set an intention and say, "Hey, let's let's listen to each other intentionally." Uh, we were both angry last night, but I don't think we ever resolved what we were angry about. Right, so it's it's coming back around. It's also about s- courageous conversations, right? Saying things that are really hard to say, trusting the other person is going to love me, even with that big wart on my face. You know. Um, trusting that I can admit to my partner that being a parent is too much right now. And I need a break, right? Because again, in our society, that isn't often allowed. We're not allowed to say, this is too much. You know, I, I still need to be, uh, to be a professional or I need to still have my social outlets. And let's say in the worst case in not worst case, but let's say a, a kid has cancer or some other debilitating Disease that you're supposed to be their caregiver. You know, like, isn't it okay just to say, wait a minute, I need something right now? So I don't know. Am I answering your questions?
0: (laughs) You you are. It's fascinating. (laughs) I I love a lot of what you're saying. Um, You know, it's funny though, one thing that's kind of like resonating um, or, or at least stirring around in my mind is like, I agree with you about the self care thing, right? As a coach, one of my big issues with my clients is that they don't practice it enough. But at the same time, do you feel like we as a society have also been a little too self-focused and maybe it's kind of like the pendulum swinging the other way or an addendum onto like not not having the right type of self-care, but some of the issues that we're seeing in regards to like racism and uh, the women's movement and, and things along those lines are a fact that maybe we've been thinking too much about ourselves and not enough about other people's stories and, and paradigms like what are what are your thoughts on the fact that maybe you know it's a both and where it's yeah we need to practice self-care but at the same time we also have to be better at caring for other people
2: mm-hmm. well that's good that's really good i think that if i don't put the oxygen on myself first i can't help the person next to me And so I think it's a balance, right? I always have to take care of myself first because if I'm too tired or too angry or too um, saturated by the unending news cycle, then I can't help with those bigger issues. Um, So I, I think it's different. You know, I really, I love that you're bringing up the nuances here, but I think it is nuanced. And I think that what we see uh, like I don't think self care is the stuff that's helping us not attend to racism and sexism in our world, right? Or poverty. Uh, I think it's um, this sense of self grandeur, right? Like I need mine. I got to get mine. Um, you know, one of the one of the most awesome things I heard I, when I was a teacher in my other life. There was a, a social studies teacher. She's a female. And she was saying that when she applied, she was working in a private school, so she wasn't making as much money. And she said, when I applied in a public school, I didn't get the job because they hired a man. And the reason they hired a man is because they're in teaching, males are a minority. And she said, and I think that was the right thing to do, right? So here's somebody who's a, I'm using this word very sarcastically, a victim of, um, Oh, what is that called when we hire somebody because they're affirmative female action. or a person of color or?
1: Uh, is it affirmative action? Anyway, uh, what is it? Uh, is it affirmative action?
2: Affirmative action, thank you, yes. So here's somebody who's a victim of affirmative action and she's saying they did the right thing. They need more men in teaching, right? But I think what happens when we turn the self-care into like, mm, self puffed (laughs) upness, um, is that we think somebody's taking our job, right? We think somebody's taking our money. We think, you know, that welfare person, you know, why can't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? We don't see the nuances, right? We, oh my gosh, I just had somebody say to me the other day, in this place I work, they're doing a lot of really good work with, um, on racism and um, diversity, and he said, a white guy, he said, well, you know, when my grandfather came over here and he was Irish, there was literally a sign that said, no, Irish need not apply and blah, 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 blah. And I, I listened because I've learned that if I listen and allow people to create that space for people to talk you know, and take a deep breath. And then I was able to say, okay, but how did your grandfather get to America? Oh, well, you know, he, he came, he wanted a better life. I'm, okay, well, Black people came on slave ships. They were captured and brought here. It's a whole different ball game, you know? And then what happened, of course, is that, you know, uh, uh, Irish and Italians and lots of other folks, uh, they assimilated because of the color of their skin, right? So people just... Right. They, they get blocked up. They don't want to understand the nuances of all this. I,
0: I love how you articulated self-care and self-grandeur. Grande, uh, grand I think like, you know, and, uh, and I know Matt's got a question, but I, I just want to say, like, I love how you distinguish that because one thing that was just kind of popping out to me is self-care. Like what holds us back from self-care is sometimes guilt. Right. Is it, I don't want to take care of myself because then I feel guilty that I'm not taking care of others. Or with self grandeur, grandeur, it's it's pride, right? It's it's feeling this lack, this need that hasn't been fulfilled, and therefore, whether it's the victim card or something like that, right? Like um, I I feel like I need mine because something in my life, there's a hole in my life that mm-hmm. needs to be filled, and so I, I think, and, and what fills that is is good self care, right? Um, but at the same time, um, I, I just thought that was, that was awesome. So I love that the self care, not necessarily verse self grandeur, but kind of you know distinguishing
1: with that.
2: Yeah. So
1: I don't know if this is a shift of gears at this point or not, right? Because I, I feel like we've covered um, some pretty relevant, interesting, and um. Identifiable things, right? That a lot of people can, you know, can identify with. But you know, one of the things that stood out to me is uh, and you said a couple of things earlier. You said you gain energy from people who are seeking, right? Or you talked about people who are seeking. And then you started to talk about these retreats they have and, and things like that. So um, talk to us a little bit about the opportunity to connect in different ways. I feel like right now we're talking a lot about how. We connect behind closed doors and maybe it's like almost reactionary to some degree, mm. right? Um, but but talk to us a little bit about some of the uh, things you're maybe working on in a different sense, the retreats, the proactive approaches that people are, you know, are coming together because they're seeking that next step in their life. They've got the awareness, but now they're trying to take it in a different direction. and And do you yeah. mind just sharing a little bit about that?
2: No, thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Some of the retreat stuff I want to do is, uh, when, and I, I, I have done, um, but I just booked one, uh, for the end of September for some women, um, to just go out in nature and, and take that pause, right? Hit that pause button, connect with each other, um, uh, a part of it will be, you know, meditation, uh, we'll, we'll do some silence. I mean, if you've ever been in a group and done silent eating, it is amazing how easily satiated you get, as opposed to talking and doing a million other things when you're eating. Um, but the other thing we're going to do is explore the different parts in ourselves, right? Like we all have a self-critic. And so we're it, it, to cultivate this intentional community for this weekend, to, to be open about our self-critic, so that when when I share about my self-critic, another woman says, "Ah, oh, me too, me too." Right, and then once we get that out of the way, then we do some meditative exercise where we go in and we befriend our self-critic. If your self-critic is saying you're such a procrastinator, you all oh, you never finish anything. That you can then say, "Well, you're right. There have been sometimes I don't finish things, you know, but but now I have all these resources. So if I'm procrastinating I have enough resources and I'm a do- an adult now where I can then say oh you have to set a deadline for tomorrow right and then you get the self-critic to quiet down right and so and then again we process that in a group and um and then we do fun stuff too like go kayaking and and and, and hiking and and part of it is silent because I think it's really amazing if you've ever been on a silent retreat and I love to talk I'm <laughs> high high extrovert but when I go on a silent retreat, oh, and back to labels, some people will be like, Jackie, you go on a silent retreat, and they'll literally be mean about it. And I'm like, yeah, it's not that hard, right? Because when I go, I learn so much about the way I use speech, and how I use it skillfully and unskillfully, and also how I use it to disarm people, right? Right. If I say, oh, uh, Chris, I love that shirt you have on, you know, um, it kind of disarms you, but it's not necessary a lot of times, Mm. right? It's just filling the space. Skillful speech is you look worried. Are you okay? Or you seem really happy As, as something shifted, right? It's about getting beyond the clothes or the hair or the makeup. Right. Um, So anyway, uh, so those are the kinds of things I want to do. I want to bring people together. I also I'm going to start some online, where like um, uh, there's certain uh, certain types of groups I want to start. One is parenting. I think parenting is really hard. I think we do it alone. I think we do a lot of comparing, and especially parenting of of kids. We're getting ready to launch, right? And now, of course, with the pandemic, it 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 adds a whole new layer. Um, the other thing is couples, you know, especially couples getting ready to get married. I think that it's so important. I would love to have a retreat, which I might one day, of couples who are getting ready to get married to really talk about some of these things. Uh, I love going to weddings because it is, I actually do weddings, I perform weddings. And it—and when I do, I always meet with a couple and have them fill out some things and we really talk about it. I'm not just gonna show up and, and just marry you. I, I think it's way more important. Um, But I always have this both end feeling at weddings, right? Like it is so promising and hopeful and beautiful. And I know what's about to come, (laughs) right? Because I've been (laughs) married a really long time. And it isn't, that romance phase doesn't stay there. Um, So yeah, so I really want to form more intentional communities, more classes, um, retreat settings. uh, uh, Yeah, and I, I, I love the work. You know, I love the I love the work so much that I sometimes that there's a part of me I have to work on that doesn't think I should get paid for it.
1: Mm.
2: You know. And so that's my part that needs some emotional muscle strengthening. It's okay to to get paid for for our work, you know. I did want to go back to what we were talking about though, about the the racism stuff. It's that's if that's okay, because yeah, I really think this is important when You know, again, we live in such a culture where we do label people, you know, you're a white male, you're racist, you're this. But again, I think if we let people talk, right, like, I get why some white males are nervous right now. Right? Everything they say is wrong. It's not politically correct. They're being shamed. What if we just have a conversation with them? What if we have them understand the nuances of race in America, the history? We ask them to watch the movie 13th with us. We we actually say, I get it, it's scary. You feel like you can't do anything right. Things are changing so quickly in your lifetime. But instead we don't. We It's the same thing with um, some of the language around gender now, right? And everybody's so afraid if we get it right. Oh, are you he, she, they? I'm not saying that's not important. Please hear me right. I'm saying that is important. But if I'm trying my best to get it right and I get it wrong and you shame me, that's not helpful, right? Can we just have dialogues about this stuff? Um, and lastly, uh, about this, I'll say when I did work in a high school, when I was working with a, um, a Black female colleague doing some of this work with her, I had this incredibly big moment. I was in the faculty lunchroom and I heard some ruckus, what I called ruckus in the cafeteria. And so I walked out and on one side of the cafeteria were a bunch of white girls yucking it up, having fun, laughing. And on the other side were a bunch of black girls yucking it up and laughing. But because I am white and this is my culture and that's what's familiar to me, the white girls sounded completely normal. The black girl sounded loud. I was able to hit the pause button, realize what was happening, right? That both girls were actually being incredibly appropriate, but one was more familiar to me than the other. And I just kept walking. I didn't have to ask either group to calm down or be quiet. And that was such an important moment for me in doing this work, right? Like that's where our unconscious bias can be beaten, right? It's with the pause button.
1: Yeah, I, so a couple of things are, are running through my head, right? So I work for a larger company and, and they have um, invested, is not the right word, but I'll just use it for lack of a better term. They've invested the time and the energy and the resources to really start to lean into these spaces. And I've seen like the great things that come from that. Um, I've seen the people that have stepped up and had courage to speak in those spaces, both, right, on uh, whether it's gender sides, whether it's race sides. And, you know, there's always those trailblazers that make it a little bit simpler for everybody else. But then I also see, right, like then you try to extract that from this like larger scale like almost like this production, it, to a degree, right? Of these courageous people who have put a lot of thought and energy into it, and I see it on a much smaller level where then we take it back to our offices and you're like, where do we even start? <laughs> right? Like, like in how we we're not equipped to. Um, facilitate these conversations we're not equipped for this or that or whatever it might be and and so awareness is key recognition is key but are you are you seeing or are you feeling right a great place for people to start right that maybe aren't trying to be curious but are trying to create that space for the other side and the other party. Like you, you kind of started down that path.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I think you're alluding to when I was saying where I work, that they're trying to do some, some things there. Is is that right? Or?
1: No. When you started the conversation, you had talked about like, Hey, you know, white males feel like they can't talk about these things, that they're being canceled, right? And so you have these, you know, our organization is very much white males, right? And who are trying to lean into the space and say like, hey, like we get it, like we'd love to be an advocate. We'd love to be a change agent, right? But then, you know, in, in our example, it can be difficult when you are the majority who's also trying to seek, right?
2: and okay, gotcha
1: right and and so yeah. that plus you know just in general right i think one of the things that i think a lot of us are probably looking for is to ha- gain better understanding by making these connections and having these yes. conversations
2: yes i would love you know it's funny because i don't often see my work being uh, like doing a retreat with a bunch of white guys. But a friend of mine said, that is where you need to go. That's who needs it, right? And and I don't, I mean, I don't even like that need it, but, um, but I do think we need to create more spaces for uh, the most privileged parts of our society to be able to talk about these things, to talk about mistakes they've made, ways their mind keeps tripping them up because they do keep thinking maybe I am losing my space and things are changing um I think we have to create the room for that instead of all the shame I mean don't get me wrong there 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 are unfortunately there's a lot of people who don't want to seek who just want to again keep getting more and more and more and feel like they have a right I mean here's the thing Uh, A long time ago, uh, many years ago, ESPN decided to create more diversity, right? And their CEO said, okay, uh, so he he made this mission. We're gonna create more diversity in our our executive offices. And somebody asked him the question, well, do you want the best person for the job or the most diverse? And he said, yes, it can be both end. But what i found in institutions that I work in I know I'm getting off a little bit from what you talked about, but in institutions I worked in, what happens is if there's a a space open, then I say, oh yes, I know a friend. And unfortunately for most of us, our friends all look like us. Mm -hmm. So it takes a particular intentionality to say, I'm actually gonna not go with your friend, even though they're lovely, I'm gonna widen their net. Right, and I think that can be scary because what if we do get someone who doesn't speak like us, who has a different kind of rhythm to their, uh, different cadence to their vocabulary, right, or uh, is from another country, right? That that feels like other to us. How, and how how do we invite them in? How do we not be afraid to say, "I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch that." Go hmm. ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, how do we? facilitate those spaces without it seeing force, but how do we create these spaces and these opportunities in an authentic way so that it doesn't feel so surface um, and, insinc- and insincere because sometimes those situations can actually create a little bit more damage than, than good.
2: Hmm. I mean, my first thought is that Maybe we do need to create some intentional communities, right? Like maybe signing up for a retreat or a class is the way to go and not just forcing some sort of odd friendship, right? Like maybe you do the work with people that you maybe never want to see again. And I don't mean because you don't like them, but because there was some rawness or nakedness that might be better off processed in a different room, I, like, you know, back to therapy, the difference between therapy and friendship or the, some of the other things I do, right? Cause I do a lot of this work, I do not as a therapist because as a therapist, my patients don't know a lot about me. They don't know what zip code I live in. They don't know if I'm married or not. mean, Let me they listen, listen to this podcast. They don't know if I have children. I, I tend to be a blank space. And I'll tell you this great story of why that's important I, I was seeing a patient for a long time. We did good work. She was getting ready to move. So we were ending. And she said, as I'm, I was getting ready to come here today, I was thinking of all the questions I wanted to ask you that I haven't been able to ask you. And, and, uh, and she said, but the one I was really couldn't, couldn't stop thinking about was, do you have children? And I went to respond. And she said, no, don't tell me. And I said, I wasn't going to tell you. I was going to ask, why do you think that's the one question? And then I said, "But why did you say don't respond?" And she um, she said, "Well, I've said a lot about what I feel about mothers and child rearing, and I don't. I, it's safer for me to know not know if you have kids or not, right? So sometimes we do the work with people, and we don't need to be friends with them. Does that does that make sense? So I, I don't know that we can just." I, I think it's both end. I think there are ways to do the wor- work more organically, right? That our wife says, hey, let's go here. But I also think that some of these communities or some of this work needs to be done more intentionally.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the reason I asked that question is because I've heard a lot um, in in some of these other conversations about race and everything, where the solution is not then to go find a Black person to be my friend right or to all of a sudden start attending a black church or gym or whatever like that community might be and that it really goes back to um you know uh again trying to expand ourselves to naturally and organically um insert ourselves in, in, in communities um in, in situations where where that stuff's going to happen more naturally right so um uh while intentionality, I, I would agree, is necessary at times. And I, and, and I, like, I think like creating retreats and, and forums and things like that, that's necessary, especially for leaders or community advocates or things like that. But like going back to what Matt was sort of sharing, like the individual, right? Is right. how to not make it so forced where, um, you know, it then comes off in genuine. And, and then we start playing with things like tokenism, you know, in, in that regard. Right. So. Right. So Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, I hear that. But I I, I think you're right. You're one point. I think that as far as the work, not the connections, but the work does need to be done among white people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We. And so that's where those communities might be formed. And then, yeah, and then we do start reaching out. And, you know, again, I think if we uh, in a perfect world in a Jackie world, right, we give each other a lot of grace right? Like we mess up. This is, if we go places we've never been before, we're going to take a wrong turn here or there. But if we can create and continue a stance of curiosity, instead of I know, or you should know, and stop shooting on ourselves and shooting on everybody else. I I just think I can, I think we can get there.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Listen, we could have this conversation for for hours and, and everything like that. And um, and Jackie, so appreciated of you coming on the show and 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 being with Matt and I. Maybe we'll have you back to continue some of these conversations. But um, uh, Matt, any last thoughts or, or or questions for Jackie before we?
1: close? No, I. Uh, well, I said no, and then I started to turn down a thought. Um, you know, we we uh we got a chance to speak with Kate, who Chris and I both knew. Um, and who connected us with jackie and um, i spoke with jackie about a week ago so i think you know just being able to sit back and, and really take an extension of that conversation into today is it's just been a gift and and um i'm just grateful and appreciative of uh, your time so thank you
2: thanks i yeah i feel like i i mean i don't know i hope it was i hope it was okay hope it was adequate hope it was good enough i feel like we could, I can, I can take something, you know, you give me an inch and I take a mile. And so, uh, yeah, I hope it was, um, hope it was okay and meaningful and fruitful. So thank you so much.
0: Not a problem. Thank you. All right, Matt, uh, pretty, um, intense, but in a good way, intense conversation with Jackie, uh, lots to offer. Um, I know that for me, um, you know, her, I, I love some of the things she said and made, um, in the fact that, uh, uh, one, she was unapologetic about her age and about where she is in life and her perspective. Um, but the thing that really resonated with me was her her constant use of the phrase, both and, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, you know, it, it's so important to have like a both and sort of mentality uh, because uh, there's just a lot more to the world when we're looking at things from different perspectives. And so for me, that was the huge takeaway was the both and phrase uh, that sh- she kept on using. How about how about for you? What, what stuck out to you?
1: Well, yeah. So to build off of that, right, there was this notion of when people have been asking her how she's been during the pandemic, she tells them good enough. Right. And it, they, yeah. they, that and both and really played together uh, and off each other. And, you know, the the notion that you can be in grief and still good enough. You can be um, going through something amazing and still just be, you know, be good enough. And, um, and I thought that that like that really struck a chord with me in a positive way and it it made me realize that there's like this self-awareness that we need to have right it doesn't have to be either or we don't Mm -hmm. have to only be in grief we don't only have to be on cloud nine right Right. you know it's both and Mm -hmm. yeah
0: Yeah. yeah. and and it's this uh experience of like you know you know you you can have joy in life but deal with these trials you know it's it's you, you can still be good in life, yet even sad. And, and so there's just a, a lot of affirmation there and permission, right? Permission to, to allow our emotions to be complex and not necessarily um, put them in a in a box. And um, and, uh, you know, um, uh, so we want to encourage uh, people out there who listen to the show just to, again, remember that, like, um, you know, having a both ends mentality can can really give you that permission to be to be human
1: yeah and and she said something else that i think that piggybacks off uh, off of your comment perfectly self-care is not selfish Mm, mm, right we're mm. all whether we go and talk to someone or not we're all in rehab for our conditioning Right. right right and the reason that people show up in her world right the reason they show up isn't the reason that they came right Right, And so, man, I, I'm sure that we could talk and talk and talk at this point about just all the nuggets that we took away from Jackie. And and I got to tell you, I thought one of the biggest takeaways is after our conversation, you and I went for a run and we spent probably 15, 20 plus minutes just kind of like unwrapping the conversation. Like there were things that just challenged us. Um that we just absolutely loved. And uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but um, I-, I felt like a voice like Jackie's needed to be heard. And, and I'm glad we were able to provide that platform.
0: Yeah, you know, in all honesty, like I'm still unwrapping some of the things she said. And 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 I think one of the things we talked about on that uh, run was the fact that um, what we love about our guests is they're going to say things that inspire us, things that challenge us and uh, things that really um, help us to look at things a little bit differently. And, and that's that purpose. That's the purpose of the show. And, and that's uh, what we want to do. So, you know, um, definitely uh, more to unpack there. And, uh, and we would love for those of you who uh, are listening to this to go to our website between and And if you have a comment, you can leave a comment about Jackie's interview or Jess's or Kate's or anyone else that we have on the show here, because, you know, a part of this is, uh, we, we would love to invite people to be a part of those conversations. So you can do that at betweenthemiles.com, You can do that on Instagram or Facebook with us. Um, and, uh, and of course, um, another thing that's important to mention is uh, J- Jack, after that interview, Jackie did interview, uh, uh, did email us about a new website she created, um, okay. which is called the both and um, sorry, the both and com the both and way.com. And we'll have that in the show notes for you to reach out to her as, as well as uh, some other uh, services and events she has coming up, but definitely check that out. Um, we would love for you guys to learn more um, about our guests because there is so much about them that I don't think we got a chance to unpack on the show. And so, you know, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, just go to the betweenthemiles.com um, and you can click on Jackie's show um, and, uh, and there's some show notes and more information there. Um, and of course, we are grateful for everybody who's listening to us, everyone who has been jumping on this uh, journey with Matt and I. And uh, if uh, you love this show, we definitely encourage you to leave uh, a review, especially a five star review, and share this with your friends, your family, your neighbors, anyone you feel might uh, benefit uh, from these conversations. So, Matt, without further ado, talk to you later. This has been a Between the Miles production. Your hosts, Chris Wesley and Matt Wells. Music provided by JAN Studio Wide Open Road. For more information, visit our website at betweenthemiles.com.